in one sentence is the good news. This is the answer to that question. Paul, how is this all possible? Because our sins were on Jesus and his righteousness is now on us. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great passage. Full stop. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great passage for us to read. <laughs> That's not how we get promotions in church. Uh, the fact that it's fallen <laughs> the week after Easter uh, without any kind of planning uh, is just perfect. It's a great endorsement of just teaching through the Bible week by week uh, because so often, uh, providentially, things line up that would be really, really difficult to plan uh, and far beyond my own level of uh, intelligence. And so it's a, it's a great passage, full stop. It's a great passage to follow Easter uh, because as, uh, as well as defending himself and his, his ministry still into this really long defense. Uh, he's going to wrap it up in a, a few weeks' time for us. Uh, Paul is addressing the, the bigger picture question of now we are saved and secured into eternal life by the events of Easter weekend. Uh, now what? What do we, what do, we, what do, we do now? Uh, I think Christmas and Easter, those high points of the year, uh, we love to come to church and we love to gather. People make it a priority to go to church the weekends of Christmas and, uh, and Easter because that's when the, you know, the, the high points of the year. We celebrate God taking on flesh and living among us. We celebrate Jesus dying on the cross and we proclaim his resurrection as the only way for us to, as, as Brenda just read, be forgiven and restored and reconciled and, you know, there's not enough seats, uh, Christmas and Easter. And then the week after Easter, he is still risen. And now what? Do we, do we just knock this on the head and come twice a year? No, thank you. Yeah, we'll coach you into that one. No, so what do we, what do we, what do, we do now? So Easter is what it is and always will be. Now what? We're saved. We've got faith in Jesus. Now what? What do we do? Uh, so it's a great passage to come after Easter. And it's a great passage for every single person who has kind of confirmed and affirmed and believed in the events uh, of Easter weekend. Because this isn't written to a particular portion. This is just to the church uh, at Corinth. Paul's just throwing out some big, bold truths. Uh, so this is for everybody who's called on the name of the Lord to be saved. Uh, and there's so much going on in this passage that we're going to work through it today in context. Why did Paul say these things uh, in the context of 2 Corinthians? Uh, and then we're going to look at it uh, again next week, uh, kind of topically, because he throws out some massive, and he makes some huge theological claims and statements about God, about people. Uh, so we're going to come back to it next week and pick out a few bits and take a bit of a deeper dive. Um, so all of that to say, if you feel like, why are you not talking about X, Y, and Z? We'll, we probably will uh, next week. But today the passage, bigger picture, what does the Christian do now they're saved and secured? So we'll read again together verses 11 to 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll see what we're doing now after Easter. Uh, so Paul says, therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people, but we are well known to God. And I hope we are well known to your consciences too. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, 
but are giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may be able to answer those who take pride in outward appearance and not what is in the heart. For if we are out of our minds, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, since we have concluded this, that Christ died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. So we paused 2 Corinthians maybe three weeks ago uh, to kind of build up to Easter and then celebrate Easter. And Paul is moving on from that uh, a few weeks ago. We're at the end of that passage, the first part of chapter 5. He talks about how uh, we are all going to stand before the presence of God one day. We're going to meet our maker, um, as Amos phrases it. And Paul knows, uh, and I really hope that you do, that it is by grace alone and faith alone that you meet God as, as justifier, savior, not judge. And Paul says, so therefore, because we know we're all going to stand before God, and we're going to try and live a life uh, that declares that, yes, we are going to carry on with our ministry of trying to persuade people to know likewise. And so, again, in context, he's really pushing back against those accusations against him and his team that you guys are in Corinth teaching and preaching uh, the good news, teaching and preaching scripture for other reasons, for to, to fill your own pockets, to just for other reasons than to glorify God and to persuade people, to show people that this is the, the way and this is, the, this, this is true and this is the life that you should be living. And I think that's exactly the same uh, for, for all of us, whether it's from a pulpit, whether it's from a, a, a bar table, whether it's over coffee, whether it's in a Bible study. The heart behind and the aim of uh, all Christian teaching and preaching, first and foremost, to glorify God, to show God as glorious and wonderful, and then to show Jesus as Lord and Savior. The scripture makes really clear that that's, the, that's why we have this, uh, to show that Jesus is Lord and Savior, worthy of our trust and our allegiance over everything else and our faith. Because as Paul knows and as he said, it's through Christ alone that we can meet God as justifier, not judge. And he carries on saying, look, we're, we're not doing this, we're not do, living our lives like this, we're not conducting ourselves like this, uh, working out our ministry like this to commend ourselves to you. We're not trying to get brownie points to you. We're not like, I'm listening and I'm responding as well. There's no... Paul's not doing that in Corinth for those reasons, to show you how good we are. Not, look at me, I'm coming. I'm the best preacher, teacher the Corinth's ever seen. He says with a little, bit, a little bit of irony, we're doing this to give you an opportunity to be proud of us uh, so that you can answer people who, who take pride in outward appearance and not what, in, what's in the heart, what's really important and of substance. And again, there's a little bit of irony here given how their relationship has played out the Paul, Paul on the Corinthians, uh, given the things that they've said about him, the accusations made to him and about him. Uh, and it, as we've read in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, uh, it seems that they were not interested at all in being proud of Paul. At all. Just they're very interested in finding problems uh, with Paul. 
he not good looking. He's not particularly charismatic. He can write well, but he doesn't speak very well. Uh, and Paul is saying, look, it doesn't really matter how you perceive this. We're doing this uh, to persuade people, to show people who God is, how they can come to know God in the person of Jesus. And he says, however you're choosing to perceive it, if we're out of our minds, it's for God. So if you think we're doing stuff wrong, well then, yeah, it doesn't really matter because it's not for you. We're not trying to please people. As he says, the Galatians, we're trying to please God. Uh, and if we're of sound mind, it's, it's for you, for the love of Christ controls us. So however they viewed him, he can say with a really clear conscience that it's all on purpose. He's not making this up as he goes along. He's doing all he's doing, how he's doing it, because of what we celebrated last week. So because of the events of Easter, how he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. The events of Easter have totally changed how Paul sees people and interacts with people and how he conducts himself. Uh, he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. And that's his foundation for, for, for ministry, for teaching, for preaching, for looking at scripture, uh, just, just for life. And every other foundation for, for ministry, for our lives, any other basis on which we make decisions is going to be subjective. So I might think it's worth something. I might think we, sh we should be doing this because... I feel like I think that. You might not think that. And like is happening in Corinth, we kind of disagree and then we disengage from serving together and end up not particularly liking each other, as was the case in Corinth. However, the love of Christ, as he, as he, as he says, is beyond what we think of it. It is what it is. It is a, a love so divine and so spectacular that no matter who we are, we're compelled to admit that it is just amazing. That whilst sinners, Christ died for us. That God gave what was most precious to him to secure your presence with him into eternity. To restore you, to redeem you, to forgive you. And all you need to do is accept that as a gift. And that's the foundational truth that Paul is working to because it is so sure and it is so secure. Even if everybody around him disagrees with Paul, doesn't like Paul, uh, would do things differently to Paul, the starting point for Paul's life and Paul's ministry is something that they absolutely cannot disagree with because there is such a sure and secure foundation. Uh, there was a, a great architect called Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, and he was given the challenge of building this building. Does anybody know what it is, or where it is, or what it was, is? Was, I think. Is, but in a different form. Oh, we're definitely going for the brownie points. <laughs> it is there, but it doesn't look like this, apparently. Anyway, so where, where, where is this then? How do you know it's still there if you don't know what it is? You remember where it's from, but not enough to, to tell me. Oh, cool. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> Very good. 
this is the uh, the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo. Yeah. It's close enough. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, this is uh, the Imperial, or was a previous uh, iteration of the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo, one of the most earthquake-prone cities in the world. Apparently, they get about 1,500 earthquakes a year. And so how do you build a building to be proud of that's going to last in a city that shakes four or five times a day? You need a really sure and solid foundation. Something that's going to take shakes uh, and problems. And uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's investigation showed that what was underneath the hotel was not particularly great for, for building on. Uh, and so he took what was there and he put on top of that, he added to that a giant, sure and secure foundation. Uh, so the ground in its natural state was very prone to error, uh, but it could be covered, it could be made sure, it could be made secure. Uh, what was already there could be taken and worked with and built on uh, and added to. And he did all this work uh, and, and laid a new, much more solid foundation. And uh, shortly after the city was hit with a really strong earthquake, loads of other buildings around it, uh, collapsed, sustained damage, and apparently the Imperial Hotel uh, didn't. And Paul is saying the same thing. His desire to show other people, to persuade other people that Jesus is Lord and Savior, he is building that on an immovable, unshakable foundation. The demonstrated love of God in the person, the work, the sacrifice, the resurrection of Jesus. All the stuff that we celebrated last weekend. And so him trying to work, trying to minister, trying to teach, trying to travel, do anything based on anything else would have had him fallen away when the criticism got too bad, when the pushback was too hard. And as he'll talk about in a few chapters' time, the kind of pushback and the kind of obstacles that Paul uh, faced, it's just, it's just awful. And so for you and for me, if we're trying to build our lives, if we're trying to build our service to God, if we're trying to live in any other way based on anything else other than the demonstrated love of God in Christ, if we're building it on our own perceived skills and abilities, our own human ambitions and our own plans, uh, what culture tells us is relevant or appropriate or inappropriate, what we see in the media, what we see on social media, all of those things. If we're trying to build our lives, our service, who we are on any of that stuff, we really need to, 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 to stop that, to check ourselves before it goes any further and think, why? why? Why are we doing these things? Is it? Can we trace it back like Paul can to the love of Christ that controls us. And all those other things are not sure and solid foundations. We read that the love of Christ we've seen over Easter weekend it is worthy of our trust, of our allegiance. It is the foundation. And as Paul says, those who live now should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. So what we're doing now after Easter, well, we're sharing with people, we're persuading that Jesus died for all, that his sacrifice on the cross is able to save. 
all who come to him in repentance and faith. That his giving his life as a ransom for many is the pinnacle example of God's love for you. And so that has to be the foundation for our ministries, for our lives, all of those things. And he continues uh, in verses 16 to 21. And he explains a bit more. And he almost kind of expects questions to this. And in verses 16 to 21, almost answers these questions before uh, they're asked. So we'll keep on reading. So then, from now on, we acknowledge no one from an outward human point of view. Even though we have known Christ from such a human point of view, now we do not know him in that way any longer. So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. And all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. So because of this foundation for all we're doing, the sharing, the persuading, the showing, the foundation, the, the, the love of Christ, we're also not going to view other people from our own personal and kind of preconceived perspectives. He's saying, look, with a different lens on life, uh, we're not going to live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised, with a different lens on life comes a, a different lens uh, with which to view other people. Even though, he says, we have known Jesus from a human point of view. We don't think about him like this anymore because post-resurrection, our view is different. Now, it's not the main point of this text, and it's kind of a side point, but I think it's really interesting, so I'm going to make it anyway. Uh, we can reasonably conclude from reading this that Paul knew Jesus when Jesus uh, was in his earthly ministry. He probably heard Jesus speak and teach in Jerusalem over those years that Jesus went back uh, for Passover, for the festivals, for those high days. Paul was a star pupil, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a, a champion Pharisee. And so it's really, really possible that they argued, that they debated one another, that they annoyed one another, confronted one another about how to live. It's very possible that when, when Jesus is calling out the Pharisees and they do this and they do that and don't be like them, that Paul was part of that group. Paul doesn't say that. It's very, very likely from how he lived and where he lived and when he lived. He doesn't say that. So it's, uh, He says, we've known Christ from a human point of view. We don't think about him like that anymore. I think that's really interesting. And it's the ultimate example of now we are saved. Post-resurrection, our view of people our view of one another is completely different. He says, we're not, we, we knew Jesus. We saw him. We knew him. We're not going to think about him like that anymore. Why not? He says in verse 17, because the post-resurrection, the view, your view of life, your view of one another is different. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation, and you view things differently. So he's saying to the Corinthians, and I really do believe that God is saying to you today to move on from what was. Because of the resurrection, move on from what was to now what is. 
and also what will be. It's on us to view things differently. We're the new creations. We have been saved. We have been secured. Now it's our responsibility to, to view one another appropriately, like that, not according to the flesh. And let's not forget what was happening in Corinth. This is exactly what was happening to Paul. This is how Paul was being treated by loads of people, including people in the church. And so this made it even harder then. Not looking at people from a human perspective when the people that we're not supposed to be looking at through a human perspective uh, also claim to be new creations. And they're not treating you with new creation behavior. Um, and if you're going through that with somebody who also claims Christ, uh, I'm sorry to hear it. it. It is really, really difficult. Because as a new creation, you expect new creation behavior from other people. And like Paul, it is really tough to take when those who claim the same Savior, who claim to be living the same lives, uh, don't display or treat you with that new creation behavior. Without going down a massive rabbit hole, you can't control how other people are working out their new creation self, uh, only, only how you choose to deal with it. Uh, but if you want to talk about that more, please do let me know. So we're sharing, we're persuading, we're living with the love of Christ as our foundation. And he says, look, it doesn't matter now. Again, he's still pushing back. It doesn't matter now if people look like huge winners or giant losers by the world's standards. Because for you, Christian, what is old has passed, what is new has come because of the resurrection and your faith in Jesus. We've now got a completely different lens to look through. So, to the accusing Corinthians that St. Paul is a bit of a failure, he's not very impressive. Uh, is he the right kind of guy for you? I'm not sure. He says, no. Old ways of doing things are done. And now through Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself. And he's now given us this message, this, the, the, the task, the responsibility of spreading the word. He calls it the message of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation that he explains is how our sins can be forgiven. How the wrong that we have done, our trespasses, are not counted. He says, the old ways of doing things are gone. And this is now the message. This is now what we're focusing on. This is how we're doing things. And he makes it even clearer. He says, we, uh, believers, are ambassadors for Christ. God, uh, you know, like God is making his appeal directly through uh, you. It's, he knows He's not trying to put himself there. He knows it's through Jesus. But generally, uh, people need other people who they relate to well because they're people to tell them about Jesus. And he's not trying to discount the sovereignty of God. How somebody can pick up a Bible and just read it and think, oh my gosh, how on earth have I not seen this the whole time? How he's not discounting the, the, the miraculous and the, the wondrous ways that God speaks to people in dreams, in visions. He's not discounting that. But he, Paul knows and God knows generally people need people in their lives to, to teach them, to show them, to persuade them. As he's saying that yes, Jesus is Lord. And he's saying because of this, 
We plead with you on Christ's behalf as his ambassadors. Somebody sent to speak on behalf of a ruler, a sovereign, a king. Be reconciled to God. And then the, the, the crowning jewel of this passage, maybe of our faith altogether, the way that he phrases it. How is this all possible, Paul? So we're, we're, we're compelled by the love of Christ. We're, we're teaching people. We're showing people. We're persuading them. Look, this is what life is all about. This is how we're going to do it. This is why we're going to do it. And he almost expects a question. How is this all possible, Paul? How can you and me experience the reconciliation, the forgiveness, the justification, the new creation, the avoidance of judgment, the fret? How, Paul? And he says in verse 21, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. What a glorious exchange that is and what a great deal we get in this exchange. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, There's so much going on here. So much going on here. We will definitely, definitely talk about this next week. A little bit of a deeper dive. It is rooted in uh, Old Testament scripture and Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, absolutely loaded this verse with language, with images, with truth that the sizable Jewish community in Corinth would have just understood instantly. Would have, it would, would have just hit them like a ton of bricks because this was their life. And unless we've grown up in a practicing Jewish house, this might not jump off the page at us. Uh, but Paul is saying really, really simply, Jesus was made the payment for our sin, the offering made on our behalf, to clear sin's record with God against us. Um, I really like how the NLT Bible phrases this. Uh, it says, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ, through that offering. Uh, and let's be clear, Jesus was not a sinner, even on the cross, as he is made the sin offering, he, is, he never sinned. And it's my own conviction from scriptural study that Jesus could never have sinned. Uh, on the cross, in reconciling the world to himself, God the Father treated God the Son as the sin offering. Uh, and First John chapter 2 tells us that Jesus himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Maybe your Bible says the propitiation. Uh, not only for our sins, but the entire world, anybody who comes to God in repentance and faith. So Jesus took upon himself the punishment, the penalty, and he gives us his righteousness, his right standing with God, as we read there, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What a glorious exchange that is for us. This is the whole, this is the whole truth of our faith boiled down to just a few words. Our sins were on Jesus on the cross. And his righteousness is now on us. What a glorious exchange that is. Jesus takes the penalty for our sins, pays the price, and now his righteousness is on us. We are made right with God. And we've traded that for our sin. What a glorious exchange. What a great deal. 
And so this is what we're persuading people of, Paul says. This is, what, this is the love that controls us. That why, this is why we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised. This is how we're a new creation. This is how God reconciled us, the whole world we read, to himself. How he forgave us, how he restored us to his presence. This is why we're now ambassadors for Christ, pleading with others through our words and our actions, because Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. There, in, in one sentence, is uh, our whole... Not that one. Uh, there, in, our, <laughs> in one sentence, is our entire faith. What are we trying to persuade people of? This. And that's how our trespasses are not held against us. In one sentence is the good news. This is the answer to that question. Paul, how is this all possible? Because our sins were on Jesus and his righteousness is now on us. And so we've, we've barely, 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 barely scratched the surface on a couple of these things that Paul references here. We've tried to keep it in context for today. And so how does this passage, how does this part of our Bible change us? How do we leave differently having heard from God through this particular part of Scripture? Well, it's, it's really quite it's simple, but it's very, very powerful. If you consider yourself a Christian, if you have accepted this and not rejected this, because there's no in the middle, we either do accept it and affirm it, or we say, no, I'm good. If we've accepted this, if you have been forgiven by grace alone, through faith alone, then you are, as Paul references, you are an ambassador for Christ. And again, generally, people need other people. And this is God's way of doing things. People need people with whom they can relate, with whom they can spend time, to tell them about Jesus, about how your sin, if you believe, was paid for, and now your, his right standing with God is, is put onto you. And so if you, if you have accepted the good news, then I would exhort you with the full authority of the word of God to leave today knowing that you are an ambassador for, of the atonement for Jesus. This is not a, this title doesn't belong to a, a select group of Christians who've risen through the ranks, been promoted meritoriously, and now I'm an ambassador. One day, maybe. Now, this is all of us, as soon as we believe. Sin's paid for, right standing with God given, and now it's our job to go to persuade Others, as we read, to be reconciled to God. He said, I'm, ple- I'm pleading with you, please. Be reconciled to God through Jesus, who knew no sin, who was given as an atoning sacrifice for your sin. And in this inglorious exchange, you can now become the righteousness of God. You can have right standing with God, despite all the stuff that you've done. And will do, let's be honest. We're, we're works in progress. You, but you, that right standing will still be there. And so, you will have detractors, people who say you're doing it wrong, like Paul did. Uh, you will have people who, yeah, detract, say you're doing it wrong, you should be doing it like this. And some of them will even claim to be Christians as they're attacking you, as the Corinthians were doing. Uh, But as we move now into a time of prayer together, God's word tells us 
without a shadow of a doubt here, that if you are saved, then you are sent. Then you are sent as an ambassador with the responsibility now, the privilege now, to share this glorious exchange. That on Jesus now, he's taken your sin, he's paid that price, and on you now, his earned righteousness and his right standing with God. Amen.